How mad are you about the lockout and the cancellation of regular season games? What are the owners and players fighting over? Isn't this just billionaires versus millionaires? Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. We have entered day 96 of the lockout. Last week, two deadlines were passed and no agreement was reached. There will be no spring training games until March 18th at the earliest. Already, the first two series of the regular season have been canceled. Today, March the 7th, may involve another meeting between the owners and the players. But also, it's possible more regular season games will be canceled before this day is out. One thing we know is this, the relationship between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association is one of enmity and not a friendship. But the question many have, maybe all of us have, is this all about money? Is either side interested in principle? Is either side desiring to pursue the best interest of the game? Does either side care a lick about the fans? Now, many of us are upset, and rightfully so, but I want to give a warning. I want to warn against the mindset that this is, quote, just billionaires versus millionaires. Secondarily, and this is not that important, but we want to have our facts straight, not all of the owners are billionaires. Now, they may be if they sold their team, I don't know, but they're not. And many of the players are not millionaires. I believe that something like 40% of Major League Baseball players do not earn a million dollars in their career. But again, that's secondary. Far more significantly, the primary issue at stake from my perspective is this. If we say that both sides have so much money, far more than you and I can dream of ever having, then a deal should be reached regardless. That attitude is wrong-headed and very dangerous. If and I realize this is a big if, but if principle is involved, then it shouldn't matter how much money is included. As Christians, we should be very aware of this. Bribes can be very enticing, but we're not to accept them. If either side, owners or players, or both sides, are sincerely striving to preserve history, honor excellence, and connect generations They should do so regardless of how much money they have or how much money they make. They should do so regardless of what it means as it regards costing us spring training games. They should do so even if it costs more games during the regular season. And this might not endear me to you, but they should do so even if we as fans suffer. Now, you may, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you may recognize that I often bring up preserving history, honoring excellence, and connecting generations. And you may also recognize that that is the motto 
of the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. And I've mentioned on several occasions, I think that is a great motto for the Hall of Fame and Museum. I think it is biblically based, preserving history, honoring excellence, and connecting generations. And so while it is true enough that there are billionaires and millionaires involved, while it's true enough that some or many on both sides could be doing this out of pure greed and selfishness, and I believe we'd have to assume that some on both sides are because of the depravity of man. But while that may be so, I want to look a little bit more closely, and I want to strongly suggest that I believe this is far more than billionaires versus millionaires. I believe far more is at stake than simply, and and I'm choosing these words intentionally, than simply even this baseball season, 2022 Major League Baseball. Last week, I don't know if this was spoken and reported or written, but Tony Clark, who is the executive director of the union of the Major League Baseball Players Association, had these words. The game has suffered damage for a while now. The game has changed. The game has been manipulated. Players have been commoditized in a way that's really hard to explain in the grand scheme. Now, I don't, I don't know Tony Clark. I don't think we've ever had a conversation in our life. And I can't say for certain what he was referring to with those words. But based upon my experience as both a player and coach from 1987 to 2019, based upon the last two and a half years being on the outside looking in, I think I know what he is talking about, and it is something that is far more significant than billions or millions of dollars, far more significant even than the 2022 Major League Baseball season. Now again, something that if you've listened to this podcast for a while, I've mentioned on it on more than one occasion, is that when I was with the New York Mets in 1992, still classified as a rookie, and there were a number of players on that team that would have been classified as rookies. Because we were in New York City when we played our home games, often Don Fear, who at that time was the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association, would come to the ballpark because the offices for the Players Association are in New York City. And this is 1992, and and already on the radar was what would become the strike of 1994 and 95. So Don would come over often to speak to us. And every single time he did, Eddie Murray, who was nearing the end of his playing career, and five years later would be elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame, would say the same thing every time. He'd raise his hand, and he would say, Don, remind these young men of how we got here. And his point, and then Don would explain to us, his point was, tell these young guys that have it really, really good right now, far better, Eddie Murray here, far better than I did when I broke into this game as a rookie in the 70s. Tell them how we got here. Tell them the story of Kurt Flood and others. Let them know that they have a responsibility to preserve history, to conserve what those players gave to them through sacrifice of their own careers, sacrifice of their own money. And make sure these players understand that not only do they honor those who came before them that allow them to have what they have now in 1992, but they have an obligation to conserve and preserve this for future generations. And if you think about it, 1992 was 30 years ago. A future generation is now playing the game. Some of the best players in the game were not even born. Matter of fact, many of the best players in the game weren't even born in 1992. 
Something else that I remember. For five years, he was my boss. I worked as his assistant uh, for three years. But Rick Tomlin, who had been in the game forever, and I think he departed in 2017. And he was saying back in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, they're losing the humanity of the game. And I remember, he's a very wise man, and I remember thinking, I think I get what he is talking about. But now looking back on it, he was seeing what I believe Tony Clark was talking about. He was seeing what I have seen for the years that I was still in the game that he was out. I also remember a meeting that was held in spring training in 2019, so three years ago. Some very articulate, hotshot New York City lawyer came to speak to all of the staff and all of the players. And she was speaking on behalf of Major League Baseball. And the meeting was such a politically correct, such a Marxist-based view of things, that all players... All staff, so we're talking about people that range probably from their 60s down to, we may have had some Latino players there that were 16 or 17. So from the 60s to 16 or 17. From staff to players. From people scattered all throughout the United States to people from multiple other countries. And after that meeting, everybody in all of those categories was talking about the ridiculousness of what they just heard. And I remember one player... He was a guy that that would not have been considered a prospect by the Brewers. And and when you go to spring training as a player, there's a a, a large group of players that they walk into spring training and they say, am I going to walk out of here still being a professional baseball player? Because dozens of releases typically happen during spring training. And certain guys realize, I'm on the bubble. And so this guy came to me this day after this meeting. He said, hey, do me a favor. If you hear any kind of talk that I might or am going to get released, would you let me know? He said, because if if you let me know, then what I'm going to do as soon as I hear that is I'm going to walk into the office and I'm going to say that I'm a homosexual because that'll prevent me from getting released. Now, I don't know if it would have actually done that, but you could see what he was thinking. Now, I also have an article. It was actually sent to me two years ago, I believe. It was after I was out of the game. And I do not know who wrote this article. I have an educated guess, but I don't know. And I'm not going to make that educated guess in this podcast. But whoever wrote this article had been in the game at the time that he wrote it. And by in the game, I mean in professional baseball, in the industry known as Major League Baseball, for more than 50 years. And at some point in time, it's a rather lengthy article, but I might interact with the entire thing. But I want to read the first line in the article. New Age technology has changed the tenor of our society and culture. I can romanticize and wax poetic about the beauty of memories that seemed to have metamorphosed into a sanitized, dehumanized reality. Take you back to Rick Tomlin. They're losing the humanity of the game. In the second paragraph, he writes this, Analytics today in baseball is like taking a poem and deciphering the meaning of every couplet. You can, you can hypothesize some profound interpretations. In the end, though, the poem lies barren. It has become a carcass picked apart by, ba- by a band of condors. We disjunctively understand the metaphors, but in the process lose the poem's essence, effect, and beauty. The poem, although the same, has been mutilated and is now different. And then later on he says this, 
these guys would want to digitally enhance a Michelangelo, Michelangelo or Picasso painting, thinking they could make it better. This is a man who, in, in 2020, let's say, had been 50 years, so since about 1970, and he's writing these things. I have a friend who's been in the game for quite some time now as a player and coach over three different organizations, and he is seeing these things, and he is so upset about them, he says, I'm I'm beginning to wonder if remaining in the game is basically being implicit in all that is going on. Now, last week, I had Pastor Joshua Jenkins uh, on the show, interviewed him, again, my choice for the next commissioner of baseball, But before we started talking baseball, we talked about a conference that he's putting on, Overcoming the False Religion of Statism, which is on April the 2nd. And he's going to have three pastors speak at this conference, a farmer and a small business owner. He he invited me, but I was not able to make it. But here's what we need to recognize about this conference. Again, Overcoming the False Religion of Statism. It isn't simply about what we would call religious liberty. He does have three pastors talking and addressing those issues. But it involves every area of life. Why? Because Jesus Christ is Lord over every area of life, and false gods, the false religion of statism, wants to take over every area of life. And the title he gave to me, if I was able to go, was this, Overcoming Leviathan, One Pitch at a Time, Sports and statism. And he wanted me to to touch on the partnership between state and sports, including cultural Marxism stuff, the stuff we heard in that presentation in 2019, and how we as Christians can overcome that in the game of baseball. We can overcome that and take sports back. I really believe this is what is going on. I don't know how many of the people of the Major League Baseball Players Association recognize this, but I'm willing to bet there are at least some. But that's really what's going on here. They're fighting, not ultimately for themselves, they're fighting for future generations and ultimately for the game. And whether they're recognizing that they ought to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior over the game or not, they are recognizing that statism isn't to be Lord and Savior over the game. Now, as I've said before in the past, I am going to be biased. I was a player. I was a union rep for the San Francisco uh, Giants in 1995 and 1996. So obviously my track record means I'm going to be biased. But I also said that I would try to be as objective as I can. And I'm trying to do that now as well. Now you listening might think that my biased slip is showing and that objective objectivity is missing. And that could be so, maybe. But I ask you this, Who do you believe is more likely to have better motives and the best interest of the game at heart? The owners or the players? Now keep some things in mind. The people running Major League Baseball went to the same colleges and universities, or at least the same kinds, as those with the greatest influence in the political sphere. Those who are in charge of major media outlets. Those determining what is taught in and through academia. Are you trusting the elites, the so-called experts, or the typical citizens? And remember, when you're talking baseball, you're talking about citizens not only of the United States, but of multiple countries. Yes, I get it. All of us are sinners. All of us are sinful. All of us, even with good motives, can have bad reasoning. But I'm asking a fundamental question. 
do you think, do you, would you find yourself siding more with 30 or so elites or 1,200 or so, quote-unquote, typical citizens from multiple countries? I asked the question, what did our founding fathers think about that? Is it the elites or is it we the people? Would you find yourself being more sympathetic to Justin Trudeau or the Canadian truckers? I worked with a lot of people, both staff and players, who are natives of Venezuela. And I spoke to them a lot about what was going on back when I was still coaching in Venezuela. How do you think they would answer that question? Put it in baseball terms, very recent baseball terms. Bruce Sherman or Derek Jeter? And remember this, and this is vitally important, can't be missed. Remember this, and I just read again of another one within the last two days. It is Major League Baseball, not the Major League Baseball Players Association, which is saying to coaches, some of whom have given their lives to the game, not for fame, not for glory, not for a lot of money, but for the game and for trying to help young men fulfill their dream of major league, being a Major League Baseball player, they are being told, you must put an experimental drug into your body which actually doesn't do any good or you have to leave the game. That's coming from Major League Baseball. That's not coming from the Major League Baseball Players Association. Now again, when I was a player, Don Fear was the executive director. Preceding him was the first executive director how the union got started, which was Marvin Miller. And I remember Don saying in one of our meetings of of union reps, saying that Marvin Miller gave him this advice. He said, get all of the information out. Argue all of the points. Try to make sure that all of the players are well informed, but you need to trust the players. They will make the right decision. Now, Marvin Miller was not suggesting, I don't believe, that he believed that the players always were the smartest people on the face of the earth or that they would always have the best motives. I think what he saw, though, is that collectively, as again, your typical citizens, though we the people, that collectively, if well-informed, they will make a decision that is well-informed. So the question is, what ultimately are the owners and the players fighting over? What ultimately are they fighting for? And that's a very important question for them and a very important question for us. About a week ago on Cross Politic, there was a pastor from Ukraine that was on the show. And he said something along the lines that it's not a conviction if you're not willing to die for it. And this is coming from a man who's in a situation in which that is very real in his life right now. And a friend of mine who had listened to that podcast, I saw him, I think, two days later, he said that he jotted down kind of this paraphrase about what that pastor said. He said, a true conviction is something you're willing to die for. If you're not willing to die, it isn't a conviction, it's a preference. Is this battle a battle over preferences or convictions? This is a question that both owners and players need to consider. But it's also something you and I need to ask and answer about ourselves every single day of our lives. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.